0: A real family. Which everyone deserves. And you deserve. We don't talk about our pasts. We don't have pasts. Our lives started when we met Charlie.
1: You look like a Marcy May. Oh, Marcy was my grandmother's thing. Oh. Oh, yes. The Imitation of Christ. <laughs> Solid silver. And downcast eyes. <laughs> Hiding what? Virtue or luxury.
0: <laughs> Do your past failures bother you? No. Do your past failures bother you? No. Do your past failures bother you? No. Do your past failures in life bother you? No. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives.
1: Hey Sarah, hey Mary, I'm so excited that we're starting season five.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Welcome back to all our listeners to Projections Podcast. We're finally going to tackle the wonderful topic of cults on film.
1: (laughs) Um, How are you? I am well, thank you. I mean, we've already been talking for an hour um, (laughs) about like various true crime documentaries, so uh, we're pretty warmed up.
0: Yeah, we're pretty warmed up and I'm so, so excited that uh, we're going to be looking at all these different sub themes and cults and cults has been something that's been a topic so interesting to me for such a long time, mainly because any excuse to look at like group psychology and the way people behave in a group is just fascinating to me.
1: Yeah, actually, this is kind of I feel like this is almost a bit of a specialist subject of yours. I think yeah. that there's something you're very drawn to. So this should be a very good series for you. And then I like anything that is adjacent to true crime. So I'm very it. Yeah, yeah it yeah.
0: suits us. It really suits us. Yeah. And I was just, just in the uh, the little warm up where we were just kind of like catching up. You said something that I thought was so brilliant when you, <laughs> what you said about cults. Um,
1: oh, it th- was th- holy hell. Um, yes. Yes, I, because I had, well, today, as you know, we're going to be speaking about The Beach and Holy Hell. Yeah. um And I had tried to watch Holy Hell a couple of y- years ago, I guess, when it came out on Netflix. And I'd actually just stopped, I'd stopped at the beginning, just because, like the idea of being in that cult was like so alien to me the idea of wanting to be in that cult I was just like no I'm not doing this I'm not like I I refuse to experience this these people <laughs> um, and then uh, so then just watching it now I was a bit shocked because I didn't think that it would get to the point where it got in the documentary yeah. I thought it was just going to be like,
0: like a chronicle a, of a cult a chronicle
1: of like a happy cult because I just <laughs> oh my god I could not think of anything more horrifying than belonging to The happy community that they were in the beginning, like
0: yeah, uh, it was already horrifying even before like the the horrific abuse happened. Like just this hippie cult of like worshiping nature and stuff like that. Like that alone was off putting enough. Yeah, let uh, let alone getting to the abuse.
1: So it's not just me then. The idea, like, do you? I mean, yeah. How do you like feel about cults? Have you ever been recruited into a cult? Like, what do you think that you would be is there a cult that you would join? Tell what's your experience of cults?
0: I wasn't exactly directly recruited, but one time I passed by the Scientology building on near Gooch Street in London and I didn't know it was Scientology. It just, they just had this sign out saying, come inside and take a personality test. And that interested me. And mm. I was like, oh, yeah, I love a personality test. And I went in and I sat down for a very long time. I took this test on a computer. I didn't put in my name. It was all anon- anonymous, thank God. And then after the hundred questions were like answered... The person informed me that in order to know my result, I had to join Scientology and I'm like, damn oh. it, no. Like
1: That's kinda good strategy. Like because <laughs> now I've said that, I've said, you know, I think the thing that I find horrifying about cults is the enforced socialization. Yeah. Um I think that's the thing that I don't like the idea of, the idea of like living with lots of people or having no. to see people like every day when I don't want to. It's like, I need like the idea you can't have your own house, basically, when you live when you're in a cult, you have to live with other people. That's what's so awful. But I do like personality tests. I think maybe I'm in the um, Myers-Briggs cult.
0: Yes, me too. Yeah,
1: but the Myers Briggs cult—you can just like know your personality test and you know your results, and then you don't have to do anything else. But but I think I like Myers Briggs so much that maybe I might join some kind of Myers Briggs based cult. Me too. (laughs) Where like, and but that's only because that I think that is the only cult that would have a sufficient enough understanding of introverts to make me happy. Like. (laughs) I think that's maybe that's the cult for everyone because they literally understand the different personality types
0: <laughs> exactly they actually do like cater to introverts yeah. which I'm sorry like which other cult with their communal living and like their you know enforced activity routines and stuff like I'm sorry I just couldn't like I'm like you I'm I am such i I'm such an extreme loner that like there, I, I'm just completely cult proof like there's no way I would ever want to be like in a group dynamic like singing together I mm. mean I think maybe the only cult that we probably do sincerely belong to is the cinema like mm. going to, going to like the communal activity of a group activity of together watching a movie in the dark like I respect that and that's that's beautiful yeah but you no, know, other than that like the the sort of um the, psych- the psychological pattern of requiring to identify with other people and their needs constantly like that just doesn't appeal to me
1: yeah no absolutely not and I suppose um but I suppose it might be different if it was like organically you made a group of friends and then you were recruited into a cult or the kind of you know I think um because yeah, there absolutely. are like certain Aspects like you know, in um, once upon a time in Hollywood, when they're all like walking down the street singing that song, all of the Manson girls, and I was like, Oh, you know, your look is really good, and like maybe I wouldn't mind like singing songs with a group of like really pretty girls if we all had nice clothes, and like maybe so, like, there are like elements that I could, you know, like I don't know, I feel like there's a reason why there are so many cults and why they, you know, why they're so successful. And it's because, like, everyone has a bit of a hook and, like, some, you know, everyone has a hook. And if you find someone that can, like, identify that and exploit it, then it could happen happen to anyone.
0: That's true. Like, I'm thinking of, like, the one, like, if there were, let's say, just for the sake of argument, if there was a cult for, like, Joker fans, like, I'm such a fanatic fan of the Joker, like... I would probably yeah technically speaking I'd probably join that cult but then the Joker is so anti-social like he wouldn't you know, like nobody would want to join a cult like
1: that yeah that's true that's true it would be, it would be he's all all proof.
0: yeah it would be a paradox I suppose if it's like an or as you say if it's organic like when last year the Joker was released in cinemas and people were like putting on makeup and spontaneously having like dancing down the stairs and recording themselves for Instagram. That was a kind of like a cult thing, you know, Mm. like I thought, and that was sweet. I thought that was really nice, but it's, as you say, it's just spontaneous. Like it's nothing that can be like prescribed. If like the producers
1: of the Joker movie, like required you to give like a percentage of your income (laughs) so that further Joker movies could be made um and like live on like a, a lot where they made the Joker movies so that you could assist in the making of the Joker movies, would you join that cult? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: That that should be a life goal for me. Like that should, Whoever's listening, if they want to like commission me to c- contribute, if there's like a Kickstarter for Joker. Not that it needs it. It made a billion bucks. So I think they can probably self-finance, but I would still be willing to contribute just to just to ascertain it happens.
1: I think I might have just like put forward a business model for the future of cinema. Like you instead of having to hire people, you just like have a lot of devotees who live on the lot and like help make films.
0: Like, oh my god you really did yeah like, I, the I don't
1: feel good about that <laughs> like, <that's... laughs>
0: and it's, yeah. like a, it's like a work camp for stands. you know like
1: <laughs> I mean actually to be honest like in I've you know worked in fashion a lot um sort of indirectly and I think the intern system is a little bit like that you know yeah like, Um especially if like people are working for like so, you know famous fashion individuals absolutely uh, for no money I think uh, working for free is a big thing of I think I think cults like intersect with um we were talking earlier about like cult like mentality sort of being kind of corporatized um and I think yeah so I think they do interlink a little bit this is kind of like a nice continuation from our work and money series in a way
0: Oh totally. Yeah. I think that actually neoliberal economics can be like a cult and we, we all kind of accept the terms of the landscape and actually sacrifice quite a lot of ourselves to just belong.
1: Actually, yeah, that is like a cult that no one can leave. Like I cannot figure <laughs> out how to leave that. So I know
0: please, I want to leave. I'm, I'm so like, ready. Bro. Like <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my gosh! yeah, absolutely. And I just think that I'm so happy with the themes we've got going this series as well, like just um in a way, kind of a journey into what people go through, kind of like in the process of coming into a cult so obviously today we're gonna to be starting um things off with speaking about faith, uh-huh. um as you said, uh the beach and holy hell, and we keep we'll keep them in that order um in a fortnight we talk about conspiracy we move on to identification then brainwashing isolation and deprogramming so in a kind of yeah I'm I'm happy that we're kind of touching on those different points of the journey you know
1: thank god we've got deprogramming at the end otherwise I don't know what would happen to us (laughs) it's a very dangerous journey we're going on so I'm glad that at the end we get deprogrammed
0: I know exactly. We've already like staged an, in- an intervention for ourselves mm-hmm. at the very end of this series.
1: Yeah, so don't worry about us, guys. We're going to get out of here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've baked our, ex- our escape plan into this. Mm-hmm. um And I'm I'm so al- also really g- grateful to our listeners who voted for this topic.
1: Yes, so- I am very as well. Like this is actually a really good system. I think we're going to keep the system of offering you choices. And um because yeah, it works for both of us. We know that you're enjoying what you're hearing and um and also that you're listening and you get what you want. So I think it's a good deal.
0: Absolutely. And I love a good like Twitter poll. So um let's actually start off with the beach, because uh, this was one that you recommended, Sarah, and I'm so glad you did. I think it's perfect.
1: Oh, I'm very glad because I actually was unsure. It was just I mean, the thing about this series is that we've like unfortunately had to not do some very classic cult films because they don't like they actually don't say a lot about the kind of themes that we're discussing. So like things like The Wicker Man, things like Rosemary's Baby, like, you know, just that these brilliant films about cults, then maybe like not about cults enough to (laughs) make the series. So hopefully those films can come back another time. I'm very, very much hoping they can. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Maybe in another horror series. Um, but yeah, the beach, um, we're going to start off with, I'm going to synopsize. Actually, yeah. before I do, do we, is there any, um, psychoanalytic theory behind mm. the concept of faith?
0: I mean, only in the sense that, um, so Freud himself, he was, um, an atheist. He, he was born into, um, sort of, uh, culturally, um, identifying as a Jewish man, but he had, you know, he really did not have any sort of attachment to a notion of a god. Um, so he was pretty secular, really. Like he, um, he, he was not a religious man at all. He struggled with his wife Martha's side of the family a little bit because they were very devout. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were extremely religious, and I think there's some evidence that. Martha's family were a little bit disapproving of her choice of marrying Sigmund Freud because he was an atheist. Mm. Um, And there there might have been a little bit of a friction uh, on that level for that family. But ultimately, you know, Freud was a scientist. He was a neurologist. So he just was very kind of practical about those things. And um, he did write a book called The Future of an Illusion, where he basically talks about um faith and religion as a compulsion to just kind of repeat the unconscious you know the the unconscious unresolved conflict of the oedipus complex which basically like yeah it's actually a really really good book for anyone who wants to like push the argument of atheism he's basically saying in the book that at least when it comes to abrahamic faiths so like uh, judaism christianity and islam um, where it, like the notion of a God is like a bearded man in the sky, that really these religions are just following the pattern of an unresolved oedipal complex of a punitive parent, usually a father. And that we're just, you know, re- these religions are really just the results and the outcome of people kind of still hanging on to those developmental Traumas and those developmental quirks of how they relate to their parents, and that they just expect to be punished again, like by the heavenly Father, you know
1: oh well, that is very interesting, considering <laughs> what we're about to talk about that is uh, yeah, that is a good thing to hold in your mind for the next hour. Um, Absolutely, absolutely.
0: But he also said something really interesting about, um, he talked about faith in a very kind of unique way that I've never really heard discussed elsewhere, how he um, talked about it as belonging to the disposition of the child because the child has full faith in their parents, you know, the child relies mm. and looks up to and admires their parents, because the child has to, you know, the child's survival depends so much on how the parents treat them. And they they, they feel a sense of security and longing to belong to their family in order to survive. And also the child doesn't know that much. So their kind of like access to knowledge depends so much on the parents showing them the way in life. So that relationship with with, with parents for Freud was he believed it was completely based on faith. You know, the child is so innocent and they just invest so much and believe so much in their parents, irrespective of whether it's a healthy relationship or a dysfunctional one. And he just felt that the, you know, himself being an atheist, he had a very cynical view of people who were religious. They, he felt that religious ch- types were just like a child who were so prepared to kind of completely invest um, th- their, th- their belief in their future predicated on this other being that's larger and smarter and more powerful than them. The same, th- th- this Those same dynamics between a child and a parent. And he said that it was actually really the adolescent, you know, in those developmental stages, when, when the child transforms into an adolescent and they start to question their parents, that that is really the sign of maturity, that you kind of are prepared to relinquish your faith in someone else. And you start to see that they're, you know, they're, they're flawed as well. They're not perfect and they don't know everything and they make mistakes.
1: Oh, God, that's so interesting, because I was thinking about child, like childhood a lot through both of these films yeah um, through, like the way that your childhood self is not very far from you at all really under duress like you kind of a <laughs> lot people say isn't it like you know when you are upset that it's like the child in you that is you know feeling threatened or um yeah. or feeling ashamed or you know all of those kind of feelings they just take you straight back to childhood oh yeah um, so yeah it's, they're not very it's not far the, ch- no. the your child your inner
0: child Yeah, Um, it's very tempting to regress. Yeah,
1: very tempting.
0: Mm. Okay, well, without further ado,
1: the beach, Mm. 2000. Um, American traveller Richard is roaming Bangkok in search of experiences off the beaten track. In a cockroach-infested hotel, he meets the volatile Daffy, who tells him of a secret beach on an uninhabited island, and then commits suicide, leaving Richard a map. Richard invites fellow travelers Francoise and Etienne to accompany him on his adventure and also leaves a copy of the map for a group of American tourists who provoke his homesickness. When they make it to the island, they discover a community living there in secret.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Directed by Danny Boyle. Written by Alex Garland. Mm.
1: Yeah, the, um, the book is written by Alex Garland,
0: right? that's right yeah, yeah. Of, of ex machina fame of course yeah. yeah um so he's really interesting mind there mm-hmm. um interesting collaboration between the two of them music by angelo badalamenti Ooh. <laughs> which i was so surprised like we because i watched this first when it came out in the cinemas and i think i wasn't that aware of like the different people who were involved Rewatching it now i saw that uh, angelo badalamenti produced the score And I thought, oh, my gosh, that is such an interesting foray for him to make, you know, make music for a film like this, you know, compared to his usual collaborations with David Lynch.
1: Okay, I was I was like, I'm going to own up. I don't know who that is. (laughs) So you need to tell me.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So if you, you do, you absolutely do. If you all of the David Lynch that you probably like remember. Uh, watching like the music from Twin Peaks the music in Mulholland Drive that's all Angela Badalamenti
1: okay I was like when you first said it I was imagining that he was some kind of like Ibiza DJ because (laughs) because it's a very kind of like last stage of Ibiza (laughs) like the soundtrack really reminds me of you know that sort of era that like Oh, that I'm sort of DJ worshipping era and I was like that's probably who it is I'll just not ask and then as you carried on talking I was like I'm gonna have to say I don't know who it is
0: <laughs> okay now I'm absolutely obsessed with the idea of Angela Menti being an Ibiza DJ like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> like, that would be so Lynchian you know <laughs> like, that would be amazing yeah but you're right like it's all that Moby and faceless yeah and like all saints, like oh my god, blast from the past. Yeah,
1: very much so. I'm actually surprised that it's 2000 it seems earlier because of all of that <laughs> I stuff. I
0: know. I know, it's so funny. And because actually I um when I was preparing for this episode, I watched the beach uh with Paul. And um I, I said to Paul, I said, you know, just just you wait, Leo, you know, he's gonna have another one of his like Scorpio meltdown moments. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure enough like pretty early on in the film like he got really angry and he started screaming <laughs> when they played that prank on him in the scene when they were swimming across That's the a island really
1: good moment like I, you forget that he's funny I think even though he <laughs> often has a good joke in a film you do forget that he's like he's quite comic he
0: is character. um
1: I think more so at that stage than than now but yeah
0: definitely definitely he's so cute yeah um Yeah. So yeah, it's a really good setup. So it's basically like, you know, he we keep hearing this character, Richard, he says, he wants to do something different. He doesn't want to be just the run of the mill, like, you know, Western traveler going to Thailand and like, doing the same things that everybody else does. He just wants something unique, like an original experience, you know. (laughs) And the fact that there's this opportunity to travel and discover this like, You know, um, secret land. You know, so this is the topography of the film is perfect for setting up how people psychologically relate to a cult. Like just the literal mapping out of what happens. Mm -hmm. That you're going to be the one to make sacrifices and like take a risk, go into the unknown, and discover something that is secret and that is like miss. You know, not going to be understood by the masses. It's something so rare and this experience that is so like um especially in our kind of like modern world of like everything just being replicated and like everything is just like mass produced Mm -hmm. that now you have access to this like secret knowledge you know and that makes you special if you access that and sure enough like when he comes in comes in on this beach and there's you know he probably didn't expect there to already be people and sure enough there's a community
1: think like he's told that there are people on it and then it comes as a surprise to him that there are people on it you know he doesn't even consider like yeah he's it's such a he's such an interesting um like not a very nice character really
0: no No, he's not like etienne is definitely the hero of this story yeah poor
1: etienne (laughs) lovely etienne he is the yeah he is the sort of traditional hero isn't he? he's good all the
0: way through He is, he is. And it's like, it's amazing to see like arriving on this like beautiful picturesque beach. And it's, it is like a paradise on earth. It looks so beautiful and pristine and people are like, have built their community around it and they're like committing a life of service and like everyone's pulling in together and living communally and What, because the whole time I was like, because I couldn't really remember the film all that well. And I thought, are they just like, when does the religious stuff come into it? You know, when does Mm -hmm. like, the promise of an afterlife come into the story, but actually, the whole, like, uh, I guess, draw, or the, the thing that is supposed to hook these people into this lifestyle, is that they've accessed something secret Yeah, and it's so precious, and no one else is privy to this, which makes the drama of the fact that Richard shared the map with other people. And it's also analog; like they're they're making copies by drawing the map. Like, oh my god, I I felt like it was it was such an innocent time. Like,
1: it's very innocent. It's like it's, and I love the fact that um, he. I mean, what I think is so interesting about this this film and about actually how. I've uh, become to think of people in cults over the course of watching these two films is mm. this sort of push and pull between wanting to be like accepted in a society, like wanting to have friends and be safe and be loved. And then this opposing thing, which is not even opposing so much as a Venn diagram, mm. wanting to be important. <laughs> and yeah. Like, and you just, I think those two things and the way that they kind of like intertwine in one person, Um, and I think that's something about kids as well, like when we're talking about, you know, your childhood self, and you like the idea that you depend on, you know, you do depend, you look on up to your parents, you depend on them, you have absolute faith in them, but from pretty early on, you're like testing them and try, you know, going out on your own and trying to gain independence from them, you're threatening to run away from home. Did you do that when you were a kid?
0: Oh yeah, like
1: packing your your suitcase and saying that you're going to go around. I, my mother was like, "What's your plan?" And I was like, "I'm just going to go around the block, like forever," because I'd recently been walked around the block and I knew the way. Um, But I, yeah, I just think it's very, you know, what you kind of assume about people in cults is that they they want to kind of fade into, you know, this like organism of lots of people where they're not an individual. But actually, Mm -hmm. what appeals to them is the is the idea of being, like, a super individual, like, yeah. you know, being important, like, having a role, being, like, looked up to, like, so it's not just, yeah, so it's not just this idea of being of service. It's, like, a dual idea of yeah. being part of a group but also being more important than other people. At the same time, they kind of coexist. It's so ambivalent. It's very ambivalent. I love the fact that he gives this map to these people because they, you know, like, he, like just for a moment he's homesick like, yeah. they have the same accent as him. He doesn't do it for some kind of altruistic thing. He does it no. because he just wants another American around. No. And he suddenly doesn't feel, like, he doesn't feel secure in his Americanness with these French people who are, he's kind of culture-shocked <laughs> by. They're kind of, you know, they they speak differently yeah. to him. They're, you know, he, he fancies the girl and the guy is really, like, nice and clever. And mm-hmm. like, coming up with plans and, um, yeah, I think it was, I think that was a really beautiful moment that he felt like he just wanted to have, like, a familiarity of Americans. So that's why he the yeah. map.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my God. That is so interesting. You're right. It, by doing that, he's sort of assert, asserting his own power mm-hmm. in relation to those. Other people like here let me enlighten you yeah you know I found the solution like I'm going to share that with you yeah oh wow and could it be also that he's just um uh yeah because that was the one thing wasn't it like throughout where because the, the Tilda Swinton character character Sal like she sort of is the de facto leader of this group
1: yeah she's daddy
0: she's totally daddy mm-hmm. and I love the fact that it's so well cast because she's so she is very androgynous and she's she's very powerful on screen
1: yeah she really there is like there's very yeah there are very few um, like women on film who project like that patriarchal energy Um, but she's totally yeah she's, she's totally kind of androgynous in her like absolute
0: power she is. She's got the phallus in the group. She does. Like she and her, you know, her like manservant Bugs. I mean, even his name is Bugs. I mean, he's completely insignificant. Yeah. You know? like, manservant. Um, <laughs> 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 oh my gosh! But yeah, and and so in a way, when um, and when they go and when Sal nominates Richard to go on the rice run with her, um, like. I kind of forgot about what goes on when they go to that, you know, the, the nearby city. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't expect him to like sleep with her, but she just kind of ordained it. Like, yeah. do you remember? She, they were just at like having dinner, and she's like, "Okay, I'm just gonna go and like talk to to the owner of the restaurant, and you go warm up the bed for me." Yeah, like, it was.
1: Like, but she, she doesn't even say she's gonna talk. She's like, "I'm gonna play some pool," um, and you go. Fine. It's just so it's it's insane like it's so powerful just as I, I'm gonna powerful. stay out drinking with my friends and I expect to be having sex with you when I get home is like <laughs> such a gender reversal um, yeah
0: like he didn't even have a say in the matter yeah. you know and like even the fact that she just kind of very matter of factly explained the dynamic she's like look you know Bugs is my partner you just you're just someone I just had sex with mm-hmm. let's just keep it at that and yeah so yeah it's kind of like um I I kept on expecting to see a kind of turn in this group where it would take on like religious overtones but I realized very quickly that actually there is no other selling point the whole the whole motivation for being here it's almost not even this beautiful beach it's being a part of the group where you feel you belong somewhere and no one can come and intrude on that. Mm -hmm. It's so secluded. It's like elite and exclusive, but also you, you know, you stand the chance of being validated and made powerful by Sal at some point. You just have to wait out your moment, you know? And
1: actually it really throws light on the fact that the afterlife is super exclusive like yes. according to religion you know yeah. that you're not all going to get there and like and that someone uh, like along the way can kind of decide whether you do or not um yeah it's it kind of really yeah it shines the light on that like the i it's like this idea that we can't all have happiness or we can't all have an afterlife because then mm. there will be too many people on the beach yeah. <laughs> um, which is crazy unfair. And like that surely, but then, it but that's what keeps people in, I think. The idea that they're chosen and someone else is not, or like other people, you know, other travelers have no idea this is going on. You know, they're special, they're important. It comes back to that idea of being important. That's right. no one
0: knows that you are. Yeah, yeah. And you have to maintain, and this all works as long as everyone maintains belief and faith in this promised land mm-hmm. the, the faith element is really big in this film I feel like it's it's the thing that drives Richard you know the Leo's character throughout the film that he he really holds on to the belief that he is able to have that unique experience yeah you know that he's not just going to be another boring like basic American traveler like he's going to be different from the rest he's going to stand out from the pack and that faith pushes him to do some pretty extreme stuff you mm-hmm. know like swim- swimming across to this island and like basically following the advice of a madman in his hostel yeah way. yeah um yeah
1: in this total comfort yeah it is you're right in this total faith that he's doing the right thing um, oh yeah that he doesn't never it it. not going he it's not it's never it's never even yeah, it's never a part of his plan to maybe not get there
0: yeah and when he like when he when it transpires that he has like given a copy of this map to some other people um, and Sal tells him to like stand on guard he really takes it to the extreme he is behaving very erratically he almost looks like he's become psychotic mm-hmm. at that point like obsessed with getting this map back you know obsessed with uh reclaiming then this exclusive knowledge that shouldn't have just been handed out willy-nilly it was just too special you know that level of faith you you should be prepared to die for it Mm -hmm. you shouldn't just be able to like access it so easily
1: i think it's um it's an interesting kind of portrait of the because I think Danny Boyle was really good at that time of sort of portraits of um, like these kind of like Gen X, like almost psychopaths, you know, like yeah. these people for whom you would assume you would assume faith would mean nothing or like you would assume like wow. or are finding it hard to find something to believe in. But then you kind of like train spotting, you know, that should that's kind of. You think it's about people who believe in nothing, but it's about people that believe in heroin to the point of where it's a doctrine. <laughs> and, then. and it's the same with this with this guy who you know seems to be like attached, not to have kind of any respect for other people's relationships, other people's feelings, other people's needs. Uh, you know, but at the same time, is like totally is like somehow misguidedly come up with this weird religion in which he has total faith. And it's this yeah. weird religion of this of the beach.
0: Wow, that is so true. Um, and it makes sense when you think about the Generation X, this group of people who were just like slackers or they were into grunge or they were kind of nihilists.
1: Yeah, but I think that there, it's also a very kind of cynical generation and maybe it's more like Gen X slash millennials. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but it just mm-hmm. reminded me of like the kind of cults that pop up now, which are not to do with community well they are to do with community but they're more like networking events but with like but with you know abusive sex and branding and torture and all of these other things you know like Scientology is essentially just a big you know like Mm. networking event where people become really big deals in Hollywood and uh, Nexium cult was for people to work on their careers it was for people to kind of self-actualize and become the best that they could be it mm-hmm. just happened that those people were also having horrific crimes done to them. Oh um, so I think he was, you know, it's a good model of that kind of person who sort of believes in nothing, but also believes in, um, yeah, sort of being elevated, being, you know, being better than everyone else, I suppose. Not to say that people that join cults are, feel like they're better than everyone else, but I think um, it did remind me of that a little bit.
0: yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right, and also just the fact that like when obviously spoiler alert if you haven't seen the beach already, but the moment when um, you know everything sort of like comes to a head and Richard is revealed as the guy who you know shared the map, let people onto the island, and then they've been killed by the nearby farmers mm-hmm. who are very like militant and not prepared to let anyone come come on like too many people come on, and um, Sal is sort of like called to exert her authority in that moment, and the farmer tell you know the Thai farmer tells Sal to like play Russian roulette with, point the gun at Richard and like he's gonna have to just gamble with his life as 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 the price he has to pay for letting these people these new people onto the island. It's the fact that Sal is willing to play Russian roulette and take that type of gamble that like becomes the point of destruction for this community because everyone has just bear- borne witness to how capable she was mm-hmm. to annihilate one of one of the members you know like that she, that the whole thing was just revealed to be a lie like this that this community of people w- had very strong bonds and that this paradise on earth could only be possible because of each individual member of the group was was completely shattered when she was just exposed as someone who was just willing to like annihilate a member of the group Mm -hmm.
1: but funny because they had been willing to let like the guy who got hit bitten by a shark just like die of uh, gangrene in a tent Uh, but I suppose because that's a collective decision then that's an acceptable Um, that's an acceptable annihilation
0: oh my god it is so true Mm. They, they were so callous. They, they were annoyed by the poor guy's, like, agonizing cries yeah. of pain. So they just moved him on a stretcher in the middle of nowhere so that they didn't have to be confronted with this pain. And they just carried on, like, living their lives playing volleyball on the beach. That was brutal. It
1: was, it was so brutal. So brutal. And that's the thing that made yeah, that it was very nihilistic, kind of Gen X cults. I think. Yeah. Um, it's uh people that don't want to have their fun disturbed.
0: they were very hypocritical like they were prepared to judge sal on her willingness to play russian roulette but they all collectively like neglected mm-hmm. that poor guy it was only etienne who was like there by his side until the very end
1: i feel sorry for etienne because first he has a girlfriend without a personality um <laughs> Uh, She's uh, that actually, it really annoys me about this film that the that Francoise has written so badly because she doesn't appear to have anything, she doesn't, there's no reason why these two people are fighting over her because she's so boring. Um, She's she's just, she's like just a sort of American's vision of a (laughs) French girl. And it's yeah, it's like almost unbearable. Like it almost made me want to stop watching. So yeah, so he has a boring girlfriend, and then she cheats on him, and then he has to spend like weeks in a tent with a guy like whose leg is falling off. Um,
0: He got a raw deal.
1: He really did. Poor poor Etienne, the alternative hero.
0: Yeah. In a parallel universe we would rescue Etienne from that island.
1: Definitely. I don't know why he didn't leave, but I guess just out of loyalty to the to the tent yeah. guy.
0: Yeah, he he was a genuine guy, mm-hmm. for sure. Um yeah, it's true and I just feel like um it is so it is so funny because even after Richard leaves you know and that that hilarious scene of them like leaving the island together on yeah. a floating <laughs> device they look like like they look like refugees on a gap year who like you know where things went terribly terribly wrong you know <laughs>
1: like, well they are that is what they are <laughs> like they're gap, yeah, year, gap year refugees
0: gap year refugees like <laughs> like let me take out the smallest violin i can find you know for these poor poor souls <laughs>
1: um that did you also notice that um I think do you think it's deliberate that when he when uh, Richard tells a story um Mm. everyone else kind of looks at him like he's some kind of like like their I feel their reactions are so kind of overblown that I feel like it must be a portrayal of what's in his head um the way you know when he's telling the shark story and even at the beginning when he's talking about how you know how he got the map um and they're all like they're all sort of like gazing at him like he's this kind of divine being
0: and (laughs) they're like every word
1: yeah and it's sort of like it's almost like it's too the acting is too bad for it to be um for it to be literal I think it must be it must be something about his point of view of how he of sort of how he's kind of he's had this sort of moment of doubt where he's he doesn't know if everyone's pleased to see him if if he's welcome there and then it kind Mm -hmm. of rebalances in in his mind and he's back to being this person with knowledge that other people don't have
0: oh yeah definitely definitely I think he's I think he's just a very um even just the way like the whole montage of him fishing and he's Mm -hmm he's like some kind of like primal like warrior king where he's like fishing like a machine and he just keeps bringing back um you know his finds and stuff It's like it that is such a classic kind of portrayal of maybe how some americans view themselves being so heroic yes you know what i mean and it's like it could total i could i think it could legitimately be his point of view of how he feels he arrives in this group that he's someone to be admired but when when it really matters he really drops the ball like he is like he choked the guy in the in the tent yeah you know? and like, actually
1: now you've said that like in a way the entire island experience right up until he goes to the mainland and it all starts to kind of go wrong when those americans find him the yeah. whole sort of early experience of being on the island is is totally like it, it's not even a real place, it's just his fantasy space where he's kind of able to redress <laughs> the things that weren't pleasing him. So, right up until oh my God. they, you know, when they right up until they sort of swim to this island, um, Etienne is really in charge, even though he's the one that's invited them, Etienne is really in charge of their trip and he's booking. He's booking, you know, transport for them and he's figuring out how they get from this island to that island. But then as soon as they land on this island, um, Etienne suddenly kind of loses his organisational power and he doesn't notice (laughs) that they're, you know, they're in this like field of marijuana and he's, and it's Richard that, you know Mm. gets them out of that situation and doesn't you know and saves them from being shot and it's and then it's Richard that's really good at fishing and it's Richard that kills the shark and you know Richard that everyone listens to and so it's almost like that first part of being on the island is almost yeah it's just it, it, it could just be in Richard's head a little bit. A fantasy space fantasy as you space. say yeah or like richard's yeah. perfect afterlife where he's the hero
0: yeah exactly and he gets to live out the glory of the experience when he's like you know the, right near the end of the film he's opening an email and it's like that slow download of an image you know,
1: Oh yeah. Françoise somehow got her camera across the all of the water without it Why? getting wet <laughs> and took that picture Francoise is not only boring; she's like physically impossible because she can't have that medium format camera got across the sea without being damaged. (laughs) I'm really angry with Francoise.
0: It's not her fault. Me too. I know. It's (laughs) she was so banal. Like I, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and he he gets to just continue living in this glory of the experience, you know, mm. kind of like unscathed. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's kind of infuriating.
1: It is infuriating. It's very infuriating film, um, <laughs> but very interesting. It was interesting to watch it again because that film was so oh, yeah. big in its day. It was like the blockbuster of that year. I feel like yeah. oh, that summer, that summer movie. Um. And then I feel like it's it's almost faded into obscurity. It's one of those films.
0: I wonder whether, like, I mean, this might just be speculation, but I wonder whether, like, the casting decision to have Leo play Richard almost is, like, kind of like art imitating life in the sense that this was post-Titanic mm-hmm. and he'd become such a, like, mega star. Um, and so maybe this was just kind of, like, a nod to his experience in real life of being like leo dicaprio everyone hangs on to every word he's like the star in every group kind of thing
1: yeah. i feel like it
0: kind of works
1: it does work it, you're right that's actually really astute i didn't think about that but the star past pers- the star persona of leo is very important here yeah. yeah
0: you know um i mean i say that with a lot of affection for him i just i, I he's a great actor yeah and he's, so, so, so talented. Um, I listened to a podcast where someone said that he had a screw loose because he kept dating, like, 25-year-old models, but he always stays the same, you know, like, the the girls stay the same age and he ages.
1: Yeah, he's in, like, a time warp, but like a reverse time warp.
0: But I mean, you know, that's just his private business. And it's like, it's not for me to comment on. Um, I, I I do always have a lot of time for like Scorpio mega stars, like him and Joaquin Phoenix. Mm-hmm.
1: I actually didn't know Leo was Scorpio. That's news to me.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: dear. Um, I mean, no, I think I find it quite fascinating when men, when, when anyone avoids dating people that are the same age as them. Um, I know. I think it's, I think, I think it's, it's, uh, I, I'm you know I talk about it because I think it's fascinating I want to know what's going on there what's wrong there um, yeah. but uh yeah no this is private business and uh no, probably not for us to comment on but still it's so interesting <laughs>
0: yeah, um for sure and by the way just to follow up on the request of of, of uh, determining the star signs of the directors mm. uh, Danny Boyle is a Libra oh.
1: Oh, that's so it's his season.
0: He's visually a very careful director.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's really nice. <laughs> very is nice. is very nice. Yeah. Shall we move on to Holy Hell?
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: Okay, I'm going to synopsize again. Okay. Um, so 2016. Yeah. A documentary 22 years in the making. Holy hell is the result of footage found by a longtime member of the Buddha Field, a cult led by a man known variously as Michelle Andreas and the teacher, among other names. As the unofficial filmmaker of the community, the film's director Will Allen was able to document the group's journey from free thinking utopia to organized abuse.
0: Oh my gosh. Mm. Yeah. Oh my God. This is, it's just, it's a shocking revelation, isn't it? It
1: really is. And it actually, I think I maybe should have watched it a bit with a bit more time to spare because it's very complex, all of these, um, Mm. sort of considering the idea of faith um I almost mm-hmm. should have I feel like I almost should have stopped it halfway and left it at that because the point where these people stay mm-hmm. is just is the lo- the length that they stay in this community <sighs> is mind-blowing and I'm not blaming them I am just I am surprised it's uh,
0: it's just, it's, it's it's a testament to the power of the hold that a group will have on people. Yeah. Um, you know, because I just read this film as, first of all, it was interesting that the documentary emerged from all of this footage that had been collected over 22 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a long time, you know, of material to hold on to and accumulate. So obviously Will Allen, um, the the director of this documentary, the one who also produced it, Um, he was that cult member who'd been you know by this leader's side for so many years Um, his two sisters were members of this cult as Mm -hmm. well so it was a real family affair for this for this group of people like to have all three siblings in this cult Um, and then what really kind of like emerged for me right away is when you when you go through life and like you you're kind of looking back and you're being reflective on a lot of things that happened. maybe some traumatic, when you have all this ma- f- material and footage at your disposal, the, ideally you would work through it by like examining that footage, um, kind of reorganizing it in the context or framework of a narrative. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that you would want to, especially for these people who were clearly traumatized. I mean, especially Will, he was personally abused by the leader, like Mm -hmm. he was sexually assaulted numerous times. So imagine like working through that trauma and having all of this content to look at visually and have to confront it and put, reorder it into a way that makes sense for you and tells your story authentically and kind of like, helps you heal from that trauma as well it has to be like a therapeutic process for you to re-engage with that Uh and i think that on some level he would have had to have faith in the process that somehow one day he would arrive at a place where he was ready to confront the truth and finally speak out and put it not only put an end to the trauma but like try and process it and move on like you have to have imagine being compelled constantly to like literally capture your trauma on on, on on you know on video
1: yeah I think that's actually really that is actually a really beautiful way of seeing the film because I was very struck by his talent um, very, and yeah. the sadness of the fact that he just graduated from film school he's 22 or 23 and yeah. then for the next 22 years he's in this cult um, and the only films he makes are these productions for oh. the cult, um which have a lot of beauty in themselves. I think he's very talented. It's kind of a tragedy. the idea that someone's art and creativity was sort of exploited in this way, but on the other hand, you're completely right. like I was thinking t- today I don't have faith in anything, I don't have any faith, I don't have anything, any higher purpose, but that's actually mm. not true. um mm. like I write every day. Yeah. and or you know not every day like sometimes I miss it but I continue to pick myself back up and start again yeah um, and I don't know I don't know why I do it it's not for it's not proper writing it's just write, you know just writing some stuff down every day yeah but I think it's the only thing I have that where as you say I just trust the process and I don't question it exactly um, and you're right that this is actually a really beautiful story of someone that put their faith in the exact right place. when appearing to sort of put it in the wrong place and you know which he did but he had this he's very very lucky that he had this kind of yeah this higher calling and this other thing to have faith in and um, it ended up being this beautiful work of art which which, yeah yeah, which is fantastic
0: it's something that assisted him in his yearning to kind of put the wrong things right yeah and he would he kept returning to this practice even in the darkest of times. Like that's what it's, it's kind of an amazing paradox when you think that, so this Michelle guy, um, Michelle Andreas, as you say, he went by different names. The fact that he, you know, he did have a selling point. It wasn't just like a, you know, Tilda Swinton and the beach kind of thing. Let's just be together. Mm -hmm. He was promising these people, the knowing that this idea that like, he was some kind of like master Put on earth by God or by a higher power, and he was the kind of in between, between you know, with uh, w- in relation to the divine, yeah. and that he had the power to like dispel this, these divine teachings. And you could see like the, the uh, in a lot of that footage, the 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 members of this cult were desperate, absolutely, absolutely desperate to be chosen by Michelle to be brought into this um, state of knowing. Yeah. that th- this divine knowledge being transmitted i mean it was a total con like i don't know if he was spiking their drinks with lsd I, they wondered, did look- <laughs>
1: I wondered i that because that it's very vague you know like the fact yeah. that the filmmaker had had been given the knowing as it's called and didn't appear to be able to describe it or didn't even try actually no you know so i and i the, i thought that as well i thought the only thing because there are there is footage of people whose faces are just so blissed out and so, um, it's just they're not—they're like totally high, and yeah. I don't think that comes from kundalini or whatever. That comes <laughs> from that comes from having LSD in your drink. I I, I firmly believe that, and I'm glad you have the same theory.
0: Um, yeah. But like they, they do not look sober.
1: No, they're not sober. They're not sober, and that's why none of them can quite explain. Like, oh, there's a lot of colors, and I know I kind of see the world in you, and it lasts for a long time. It's like you're on LSD. Someone put in your LSD without telling you, and um, that must, yeah, I think that must be. I'm, I'm sad that's not because I looked it up as well because I, I wanted, I thought Mm. someone might have read that there might be a Reddit thread about it or something, but no one seems to have addressed that. What that that thing is and uh, why they like suddenly stopped doing it and then started again but um you know do you I don't have any experience with religion and it seemed like they had Mm. you know at least the family that it kind of centers around grew up catholic so they the idea of like a god or the divine wasn't new to them and it was but as someone that has no experience being religious Mm -hmm. is it is it a is it the divine that is the selling point or is it just the is it just the feeling of being chosen by this guy? You know, is well, it yeah. just the feeling, is it just, you know, the girl the sister who never was, you know, continuously passed over for this knowledge was so like hurt, like it still made her cry, the idea that she wasn't chosen. But this mm-hmm. thing that she knows is fake and she knows that this guy is a predator. And she looks back, but it still hurts her so much in this very childlike way, in the same way that you can still get upset about something your primary school friends did to you. You know, things that can still bring you to tears, even though it happened to you when you were seven. Mm -hmm. So, you know, is it about, is it really about the divine or is it just about
0: that need to be picked? Oh, yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think you're absolutely right. It is you know, it's this kind of um, coalescence between maybe a genuine curiosity to know about like other dimensions, other, you know, um, modes of existence, let's say uh, different spheres of consciousness. But then that gets sort of like confused or very much like mixed up with than longing to be validated mm-hmm. by a perceived authority figure, yeah. and let's let's face it, in this in this family. So let's say let's take the th- the three, you know, siblings, Will and his two sisters. I mean, Will says right, you know, pretty early on in the documentary that his parents kicked him out of the house because they f- found out he was a homosexual.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, imagine like the the, the sense of feeling so abandoned and betrayed by your own family who just refuse to accept you for who you really are. And then of course that would maybe lead a young person to feel very vulnerable and maybe even searching for a place where they can just be who they are, not hide it and be accepted. Mm. And he was completely like vulnerable to, to something like this, to this type of manipulation by Michelle. Um, where you know suddenly it's like access to the divine becomes this kind of avatar yeah. for validation and if you get chosen then you're deemed special you're deemed like truly accepted by the leader the parent of the group
1: mm-hmm. and I think, I think
0: you're absolutely right that
1: vulnerability to specialness is like, is a tool that lots of abusers use um yeah. you know and that is like it can be really confusing for people who um didn't want to be abused, but enjoyed some of what was happening to them because they felt chosen. Um so I think we're all really vulnerable to it. It's and I think I actually I think that you know some they get criticized for being a little bit, you know, m- maybe a little bit trashy or a little bit sort of um what is the word sensationalist. But I think that documentaries like this, and I am also thinking of um abducted in plain sight. um i think it's very important Uh, i think i think because we're talking a lot more about abuse and about sexual abuse and harassment and things like that i think it's very important that everyone knows that it's not just something that happens to the weak like it it, it happens it can happen to grown-up fathers of families it can happen to you like regardless of what your sexuality is and how that was accepted by your family or not like or whether you've been a victim before or how clever you are or it can happen to absolutely anyone at any point because we've all got that thing inside of us that where we know we respect authority and want validation. And it's, um, yeah. So I think having said, I don't understand why they were in that cult. I I sort of do now because it's so easy to play on those things. You know, my, you know, I live with my grandmother Mm. um, and the other week I, I, I was upstairs and my dad happened to come round and Mm -hmm. um, I went down to see him. He said, who's, who's Nan on the phone to? And um, she, he said, she won't tell me. She says, she's not allowed to tell me. And uh, we got her off the phone and it turned out that someone had phoned her and said, this is the police. Um, Someone's taken 2000 pounds out of your account this morning. (gasps) Um, And, um, and then she had apparently she'd like gone upstairs to call me and the guy on the phone said who are you talking to and she said I'm just getting my granddaughter and he said no it's open investigation you're not allowed to tell anyone in your family oh my and God. she was just really frightened I think yeah and so the and I was yeah. really so lucky that my dad just happened to drop by because I had no idea and she was on the phone for an hour they mm-hmm. you know they like cloned the number for NatWest and phoned her from that as well and told her the same thing and like I think if we hadn't found out in time, that they would have phoned her back and got her details.
0: Oh my god! Um,
1: and uh, you know that's not that's not um you know there's no like there's no divine there there's no um promise of oh. an afterlife there's nothing but there's just like the idea that someone in authority calls you up and yeah. tells you something that isn't true. You're, it's so easy for you to to like some fraudster cut her off from her family in like five seconds. Yeah, like she did. She wouldn't. She wasn't going to tell us.
0: Wow, that's
1: insane, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just as you, it is that thing that rubber bands every individual back to a state of feeling compelled to go along with what the perceived authority wants from us. Yeah,
1: it's 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 very frightening how fast it can happen.
0: Yeah, um, to yeah. Um,
1: I'm also thinking about the thing that's that was kind of portrayed as a like a really mad part, but actually. I think is explainable is that they did those ballet productions. Oh yeah. Um, which, you know, they were like, they choreographed and rehearsed for and had, they they're, like, they're actually fantastic. Like these are amazing, amazing. Costumes, these sets. They build this theater that they oh have to keep God. taking down and rebuilding to, you know, to this guy's whim. But I think <laughs> there's something very, um, I think in a way that's one of the most understandable parts of it, because he gave yeah. them all that same thing, that idea of kind of creativity, just for creativity's sake, just the process. Yeah. So the process is, you know, you practice this ballet for a year and then you perform it once to no one and then you start another one. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people about how kind of radical it is to, I think in this day and age when you feel, when you're told to monetize everything, when you're told mm. to you know, to be success- as successful as you can. I think it's very radical to do something that is not linked to le- like work or labour or getting ahead or being successful in any way, whether that's, you know, playing tennis or sewing or knitting or cooking, you know, like just something that you just do for yourself. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, actually it kind of, those, that idea of having faith in the process, it really puts those ballet performances in a different light, yeah, like, I can see why people would stay in a place where they get to do that all the time, and no one puts pressure on them to make money from it or no, to be exactly. famous from it.
0: I mean, they were they were all willing to like sell their homes and quit their jobs yeah. to like perform in these things and be, belong to this group that that staged these like you know once in a lifetime performances yeah. that nobody else would ever see. They were what they were really doing was. They finally had this platform to just kind of relinquish to a process. Mm. Um, and actually, I thought I agree with you. I thought that aspect of this group was actually really positive. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, this is something that ought to be looked at in a serious way and engaged with and maybe incorporated into people's lives but for maybe a better purpose Um, it's when things just started becoming like a circus and the performances and the staged, you know, spectacles just became more and more absurd where they were just completely focused on him, you know, and his ego. And like, you could see in like the footage that, that Will took, like he just looked crazy. Like he looked like it, it, it just completely had gone to his head and he thought he was some kind of, like, god emperor on Earth. Like, it looked, he looked mad.
1: Yeah, he really did. And sort of that footage that they kind of covertly captured of him at the end. Oh, um, my God. It, I just, how old is he? He kind of moved like an 80-year-old, but he had the face of, like, this sort of plastic surgery face of someone much younger. But he it looked like it was painful for him to move. You know, he was moving yeah. really slowly and very 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 strange very strange person he did become he was very good looking when he was younger when he was in those porn films
0: and when he was in rosemary's baby he was in
1: rosemary's Baby, <laughs> which is so great oh
0: my god i know that's fucking amazing like that one moment, like his one moment of glory and Rosemary's, Rosemary's baby. But he was very, t- he was very synogenic, like in his younger days. Yeah. He was a good dancer as well. Yeah. It's just, and it's just so interesting how so many cults do end up like springing out of the Los Angeles area where... I don't know if it is something about these like out of work actors kind of longing to perform and finding themselves like at a loss of the attention they crave. So a cult is just the kind of next best thing for them to live out the role of a lifetime. You know,
1: do you know that one of the executive producers was Jared Leto?
0: Oh, my God. Which
1: is funny because he looks like a cult leader.
0: Yes, he does.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're right. There's very it's very specific culty atmosphere there. I think it yeah. is about it is about that people who seek validation on a massive scale, um, and are being kind of lost in a sea of talent. Um, yeah. definitely definitely can find it through like some nice people that just want to do yoga and and uh, <laughs> you know, hang out with their friends.
0: Oh my god. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll never forget when um, the pandemic first struck, um, like it was something like a a week after there were like mass lockdowns all over the world. Suddenly there was this tweet from Jared Leto and he's like, guys, I've just been in like a a silent meditation for like two weeks and I've just emerged. What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea that happened. That's amazing. (laughs) He was somewhere like in Joshua Tree or some like desert near LA, like for two weeks, and he had no idea that there was a global pandemic. Like... Oh,
1: I can't believe I haven't heard that before. That's the best. That is the best story I've ever had. I've been hearing a lot of Jared Leto stories recently. Which, um, someone posted that an interview where he forgot he was in *Urban Legend*. And he, oh so, and it's like from quite a long time ago, but he's um you know the guy is like it's like it's actually a very disrespectful question that guy is talking about like slashes and he's sort of talking saying oh you know I guess everyone has to do like a schlocky horror at some point in their career kind of like negging on on horror and uh Jared Leto's like what's that and he's like urban legend you were the you played the main the main part and he's like no I don't think so man And, (laughs) and he's like no you were you were the journalist. You were the school journalist. Like, don't you remember? And he's like, no, I'd never even heard of it. Oh my god! And then just to remind myself, because I haven't seen that since school, I rewatched it, and he's yeah, he's in, he's in it from the beginning to the end. He's like the final boy. What? Yeah.
0: Oh, I feel like one day we're going to get a documentary like Jared Leto The last Years or some yeah. crazy thing. Like
1: he's <laughs> fascinating. My little sister is obsessed with him because he's also got his other life as the lead singer of this band.
0: Oh, 30 Seconds to Mars. Mars. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was obsessed with him in high school because I, I I watched my so-called life. He's had so many incarnations. Yeah. Um, and the Joker. And the know?
1: Joker. Yeah. Um, poor Jared Leto, like, he's, yeah. he's fascinating, he doesn't get enough recognition.
0: You'd never know he was a Capricorn, like, he, he doesn't strike me as a Capricorn, but no, then maybe, maybe you, need, maybe you do need to be industrious to be, like, so, you know, um, ever-present. Yeah, he's like... Like a <laughs> Renaissance
1: man, you know, he's, uh, <laughs> like yeah, definitely. That's so interesting. I'm going to tell my oh friend Miranda, my she's a Capricorn, and, and uh, yeah, yeah
0: strange hard Hardworking working people (laughs)
1: hard working people as are these people in this um buddha cult actually oh my god you know the
0: service that they put in like 40 hours on top of work on top of work yeah
1: (laughs) they're amazing and they all become kind of like really successful people when they leave the cult as well so you know they've yeah they must have worked their asses off that whole time to be really funding this guy's lifestyle and everyone you know i think there's something i'm I'm really glad it is all documented because there's something a lot like outsider art about what they do you know even the guy who makes the fruit salads in in like shapes and pictures oh yeah uh, which is so cute and uh yeah and the ballets the films that they um the the couple of people that start that make that hair clip and uh, oh, yeah. and he does an advert for the hair clip, and it's really good. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just so interesting because they must have, you know, he must have been in society enough to have some kind of aesthetic sense. Yeah, but then sort of, um, you know, isolated from it in order to achieve this very strange art. So wow,
0: yeah, I don't know, absolutely, and I and I also happen, you know, as you were speaking, I was just thinking that you know, in a way, um, it's just this duality as well that he projected about sexuality being so debased Mm. and something that we can do without. And like he he forced the members to to be to to abstain from sex and he was very controlling about people's relationships, all the while actually like abusing the men. Yeah. And I just happen you know, I couldn't help but think that, you know, if you're a cult leader and there's always the threat of people kind of like Thinking for themselves and, and 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 freely deciding to leave. In a way, the abuse is a perfect solution for the person who wants to maintain the infantilized state mm. in the members so that people feel so conflicted and so torn apart from the after effects of abuse that that they are willing to kind of take on the solutions that you're providing, you know? Yeah. Um. The, that That's why we, we continually see, you know, sexual harassment and abuse in so many of these organizations where people are, you know, are told that they should feel compelled to belong to this group. Yeah. If members are too independent and they're too free thinking and they're like, nah, fuck this, like, this is bullshit. Um, that's not gonna work. Like you're not gonna have a, a tight-knit group. You the infantilization is so important because you know, that's when it renders the person like incapable of judging for themselves and like torn away from their own agency.
1: Yeah, it's so sad. And
0: it's so sad and sick, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just towards the end when there is that like candid footage of him on the beach and the will is asking him, like, have you been a good boy? And the way that like Michelle Andreas whatever responds, like he thinks it's a joke. Like he he really is not burdened with any guilt for what he did. Like he thinks all of this is just a joke.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. Oh, yeah. Also, I just I was so struck by that bit on the beach because that whole new generation of cult cult followers oh my God. are so beautiful. I know they're they're really beautiful in the nineties as well. Like. You yeah, know, but that I don't know, it's just the that, that um thing of getting recruiting people that are stunning is such yeah. a good is such a good um tactic because you really do feel like there is a utopia because these people are so gorgeous. <laughs>
0: yeah it kind of presents you with this like idealized place you know where even if you on your on the inside if you feel like chaotic and like maybe recovering from something and you're not quite there yet you still feel pretty broken up if you look out and you see like a group of like fabulously gorgeous people and they're telling you that you can be a part of their group it's like the ultimate mirror stage of like recognizing your reflection in a mirror where it's perfectly contoured yeah and you feel connected to that and it's a total contrast from the chaos you feel inside so it's very tempting it's very very tempting tempting to go towards that you know oh it was just so sad the,
1: the way those people feel so broken
0: Um, I know it broke my heart seeing some of the testimonies like they were still crying you know they were still like breaking down in tears and I thought wow like it's going to take a serious amount of processing to deal with what happened Mm -hmm. Um, but at some point in the documentary it also will also makes the point about how this is not just some like rarefied event that takes place in an actual cult you can you see this behavior in organizations
1: it's this idea of you know being infantilized and made to feel that you'll have no like you literally can't live outside um mm. it made me think about the creative industries yeah. um you know what happened in hollywood what happened in what happens in fashion what happened in the art world um it's that same idea that you're nothing if you're not if you're not in this this job um, so you put up with you put up with abuse because you are kind of made to feel like you're not a person if you're on the outside and it is this kind of society and you yeah. can't survive without them
0: yeah absolutely it's a self-maintaining process of like reducing people down and like just lowering their sense of self so that they continue to have faith in the bullshit that you're peddling mm-hmm. you know like you just you become the solution to the problem that you created and it just sustains itself. Yeah. Um, Yeah, absolutely. It is tragic. Absolutely tragic. Um, And, and in a way, I'm glad that we've started off from this point because the next few themes are going to kind of look more at the little, the different strategies Mm -hmm. that that really get under people's skin that become really kind of almost irresistible. Yeah yeah um, Um, looking forward to it me too me too the next topic is conspiracy so we will be looking at the devils and the endless um and actually this might be a good point i saw uh on instagram that we we had a couple more donors as well we
1: did um my friend Kirsty buchanan gave us some money which was very nice of her Um, oh that's lovely Kirsty is um has listened to every episode and sometimes she is catching up on episodes and she'll just um, engage me in conversation like she is part of the part of the podcast Um, so she'll text me in the middle of listening to an episode with all of her thoughts uh, which is sometimes a surreal experience because I haven't recorded that episode recently Um, hang on I'm trying to find her text because she said such interesting things So she said, on Sunday I listened to the projections podcast again and enjoyed them so much. I listened to Bonnie and Clyde, which I loved because the first time I watched it was when I was a child and staying with my grandparents over summer and everyone would fall asleep and I stayed up all night long watching TV and sometimes there was a good film once this came on and it was just wow. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she also said that she liked the Office Space episode and Have We Seen Silicon Valley because it's a TV series also by Mike Judge and it feels like the sequel to Office Space
0: no i've not seen that that sounds great
1: no it sounds um it sounds really interesting but she gave us some money and then also our long-term long-time follower julie goldsmith
0: oh thank you so much to julie and Kirsty. we're so 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 grateful we to have really, your support
1: oh, it really really helps us out it makes us feel very appreciated as well and validated um, yes and so we don't, don't have to go a cult so yeah. <laughs> it's very important that you keep giving us money.
0: <laughs> to ensure we don't run off and join yeah, a cult. Don't make
1: us have to join a cult. We don't like other, being, living with others.
0: No, <laughs> <please>. <laughs> Yeah, we're so grateful and excited to be embarking on a brand new topic and just keep, you know, engaging with us on social media. Obviously, this month, October, we are releasing um, daily posts uh, for October, you know, for or Shocktober, the 31 <laughs> days of horror. So that's exciting. And yeah, until next time, just keep in touch, follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. And yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Because I gotta have
1: faith.